Dear Father, as we pray, our hearts are so easily distracted to be full of concentration to understand what the significance of today is as we read and remember the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. And we pray for all these things in his name. Amen. I want to ask you a question. Uh, what is faith? When you think of faith, what is, what, how do you define faith? Or when you think of faith, what do you think faith is? Now, for many people uh, in the world, faith is something which is the opposite of logic. Right? Faith is something which you do where you go against what is reasonable and logical. Faith is something which you do which is opposite to uh, something which is sensible, where people believe that faith is something which is opposite of your mind, where you leave your mind at the door and then you believe in something which is unbelievable. But that's not the way that the Bible understands faith or defines faith. Because actually, as we will see today, faith in the Bible is something which is the most logical, the most sensible, and the most believable course of action. So another way of looking at faith is, uh, do you need faith to believe that the Japanese conquered Singapore during World War II in 1942? Do you need faith to believe that Singapore became a nation in 1965 when Singapore separated from Malaysia? Do you need faith to believe that Singapore experienced SARS in 2003? No, we don't believe that we need faith to believe these things. We just believe these things to be true, to be historically and factually true, because these are the things which happened. And the same way as we read about the resurrection of Jesus, we believe that it is a historical and factual thing that happened, and therefore the most logical, sensible, and intelligent thing to do is to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And that is the Easter message, isn't it? That Jesus rose from the dead. And today in, the, in this uh, book of the Bible called John, uh, as we just read up there, uh, Thomas uh, was one of the twelve disciples and he had uh, experienced the ministry of Jesus, he had lived with Jesus, he had walked with Jesus, he had talked to Jesus, he had, he had eaten of Jesus, he had uh, seen Jesus do his uh, ministry, and he had known that Jesus had died, he had been crucified on the cross, and he had been buried for two days since his death. But unfortunately, Thomas was not an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead at that time as we read in verse 24. So actually, Thomas becomes the first person to whom an Easter message was preached. Okay, and the Easter message to Thomas was just five words. And what are those five words which were preached to Thomas? We have seen the Lord. Right, we have seen the Lord. Now you notice here that uh, the other disciples preach and tell Thomas the Easter message that they had seen the Lord. Even though Jesus had been crucified, even though he had been buried, even though he had been dead, Two days, they said, we have seen the Lord Jesus, he has risen from the dead. And they, saw, they said it as a historical fact. They didn't say, we, we hope that Jesus has risen. We wish that Jesus had risen. Uh, we hope to see Jesus in the future. But they said, we have seen the Lord. They presented eyewitness testimony to a historical fact that they themselves had experienced. Now, in life, there are different sorts of uh, evidence. Uh, there is uh, scientific evidence. 
where we do an experiment over and over again to prove the existence of a force or some theory. So, you know, I get a Bible, I drop it, right? I do it over and over again. I keep showing up in the air and drop it. And it shows that there is a force acting on my Bible, which is called gravity. So we know that there is this truth that is proved because of the evidence of the Bible dropping, which is gravity. But there's another evidence which we rely on every day, which is called historical evidence, which we rely on for life. You know, when we go to the court of law, when we go to uh, read the newspaper, these are not things that you can recreate over and over again. Can you recreate a bomb that goes off in, in Iraq? No, you can't, isn't it? But yet we know it happens because it's historically true. You can't recreate a, a robbery, you can't re recreate a car accident, but yet these things happen every day and, and we experience them, right? You can't recreate your parking ticket, right? Okay? These things happen, right? These are things which just happen and this is what is what the Bible is talking about. The resurrection of Jesus, according to disciples, according to the, the Bible, is no different from the Japanese attacking Singapore in 1942, from the separation of Singapore from Malaysia in 1965, from SARS in 2003. That's the way that the Bible sees it, and that is the Easter message, an eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in this passage, we see uh, Thomas, and uh, we, we see why he's called in history, doubting Thomas, right? Okay, because he doubts the eyewitness account of what the other disciples saw. So what does Thomas say? Well, Thomas says, look, you know, unless I can see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger through his hand, I mean, kind of a bit gross, right? Okay, it's like right, at least about NC-16 rating. All right, put my finger through his hand. So, you know, you can see his hand here put it through to the other side, unless I put my hand on the side where his, uh, his, his, his side where it was feared by the Roman centurion, unless I put my hand in his, in his stomach or something, I will not believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. And what happens a week later in verse 26, it says, the disciples were in the house, the doors were locked, and Thomas was with them, and lo and behold, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, and he takes Thomas's hand and says, Put your finger here. Put it through my hand. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas does believe, isn't it? So what we see here in, the, in this eyewitness account is not just that the disciples saw Jesus, that they saw the Lord, but they actually Use the other senses to see that Jesus had really risen. They use their touch, isn't it? They use their feel. Well, Thomas did anyway. Maybe the rest were too squeamish to do it. To, to realize that Jesus had really risen from the dead. So what we see here is the disciples not trying very hard to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It is not the disciples taking a leap of faith into something which was unbelievable. But rather what we see here is a real life incident where they saw an event, they experienced an event, they touched the event, they felt the event, and they believed the event. Jesus had risen from the dead. And the Bible says that it records this incident for us because it wants us, 2,000 plus years later, to believe it too. Because in verse 29 it says, 
And Jesus told Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. You see, it's so important for us that we need to know that Jesus rose from the dead, that God says through Jesus, Blessed are those who have not seen these events, who have not touched Jesus, but yet have believed them. And the reason is because it really doesn't matter to me today, in a certain way, whether the Japanese conquered Singapore in 1942. It really doesn't matter whether I was there or not when Singapore separated from Malaysia in 1965. It doesn't matter whether we had SARS in 2003, apart from the fact that I survived it, and so did all of you. But the fact is, according to God, it is vitally important whether we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It is something that will cause great blessing if you believe in it. So I want you to think for a moment, think of the most significant moment in history which affects your life today. Okay, think of the most significant invention or incident in history which affects your life today, where if it didn't happen, your life would be radically and completely 100% different. Just think for a moment, what, what invention, what experience, what incident happened in history which has changed your life? Okay, just think for a moment, what could that be? Maybe it was the invention of antibiotics. If it wasn't for the invention of antibiotics, then maybe half of the people, there wouldn't be a mosaic ministry in our church today, right? Because the average lifespan would be in the 40s. Maybe it's the invention of electricity. Imagine if we didn't have electricity. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, the invention of nuclear energy. or Because, you know, through nuclear energy, we've had nuclear bombs now, and we've got nuclear uh, viable, different source of energy. What could it be? So we think about all these things, and we think, okay, these are all historical events which are so important that they're so significant to us today. But the Bible actually says that the most important historical event is not the invention of antibiotics, neither is it the invention of electricity, neither is it the invention of nuclear energy or power or nuclear bombs, but it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, look at what um, Thomas says in verse 28. Thomas said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he proves that God exists. See, when Thomas sees Jesus rise from the dead, he didn't say, my God, as in, you know, he's an exclamation mark, right? Okay. But he means, my God, my Lord. He actually recognizes that Jesus is God. That there is the existence of God. See, the reality and the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that God exists. That God exists in Jesus. Now, I know that uh, if you go to any bookshop, uh, or you know, nowadays bookshops are dying, so maybe if you go to Kindle or Amazon or something, right? you'll see that you know anti, anti-Christian writers, atheistic writers, they will try to prove that God does not exist. And if you read some of those books, I, I, I read it, you know, sometimes I go in the bookshop, I've got lots of time, my wife is shopping, so you know, I go there and I browse all the non-Christian books about you know, why God doesn't exist, and they always use like for philosophy, you know, 
He used to use philosophy and God cannot exist because of all these things. Because of the existence of evil and suffering in the world, God cannot exist. Because of the existence of you know, evolution, God cannot exist. But at the same time, if you read uh, Christian writers or even uh, non-Christian writers who believe in God, they, they use the same arguments. You can use philosophy to prove that God exists. There must be a first mover who starts everything that must be God. There must be God because we all have a conscience. There must be God because evolution has an order to it and it goes against the law of this order. So there's really a stalemate, you see. If you read the non-Christian books and the Christian books, the people who believe in God and people who don't believe in God, you can't prove one way or another whether God exists because for every argument you have, there's always a counter-argument. But the Bible doesn't argue for the existence of God through philosophy or through creation or through science. But it argues that God exists because Jesus rose from the dead. Because of a historical event, because of a factual event that happened in the past, Jesus rose from the dead. We have seen the Lord. We know that God exists. Now, there are many people who, uh, who feel that God does do exist. You know, that I've met many people, I'm sure you have too, they say, yes, God exists. And I'm looking for God. And I'm looking for God inside of me. And I'm looking for God in the things outside of me, in the things of the world, in the plants, in the trees, and in life. But they, they don't know where God is. Or maybe they try to look for God in some sort of organized religion. They go to a religious place, a holy place. The thing is, when I, when I meet these people, I say to them, you cannot find God in these places. You're, you're, you're hoping to find God in these places, but where will you really find God? You can only find God in Jesus. Because Jesus rose from the dead, and Thomas says, My Lord and my God. But it's not just that because Jesus rose from the dead, God exists. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we know that God is a caring and loving God. See, look what it says in verse 30 to 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, Jesus rises from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus shows that God loves and cares for people because he gives them life. See, Jesus didn't rise from the dead so that we could applaud him, right, and say, well done, you know, you are like the world's best magician. You know, you are like in the Guinness Book of Records because you have risen from the dead. Jesus doesn't rise from the dead so that uh, he would be in the news, right? so that we would be uh, you know, celebrating his uh, resurrection 2,000 years from, from then. Rather, Jesus rises from the dead so that we may have life, life in his name. Because Jesus rises from the dead, we can rise from the dead too. Because there is resurrection in Jesus Christ, he gives us resurrection. Because Jesus conquers death, he says that we can conquer death too. So you notice here, where it says, by believing, you may have life in his name. Now the you there, is not a singular, as in one person, it is a plural, it means many people you, you all, may have life in his name. 
So as Jesus rises from the from the dead, it shows that the effect of Jesus' resurrection is greater than all the historical events in history. Think of the invention of antibiotics. Well, you know, you have antibiotics, so all of us now live maybe 50 years longer than we did before. Instead of dying of a cold, we die of cancer or old age. Now, electricity, yes, you know, it makes us more comfortable. Right? Maybe we, 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 we enjoy life more. But the resurrection of Jesus from the dead gives us eternal life. What can be greater than that? Now, many times as a pastor, you know, I visit many hospitals, so I'm very familiar with all the hospitals in Singapore. And when people are dying, when uh, death is close and mortality is real, what is the greatest desire of those people as they're lying in the hospital bed? Do they desire for a better career? Do they desire for more money? Do they desire for a bigger house? Do they desire for more clothes or more handbags or shoes? If you're lying in a hospital bed and, uh, or maybe the doctor comes and tells you you've got cancer, you only got two months more to live, what is your greatest desire? Your greatest desire is time, isn't it? Even one more day of life, even one more day of life is precious to you. And what would you give in exchange for that one more day of life? But notice here what John's Gospel says, that by believing in Jesus, because He rose from the dead, we have unlimited life. Not just one more day of life, we have life, unlimited eternal life in His name. And it's not a hope, it's not a wish, it's not a fantasy, it is real because Jesus rose from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we can have Life unlimited. Now, isn't that greater than any invention in the world? Isn't that more significant than anything that has happened in the past? So, because Jesus rose from the dead, God exists. God cares because He gives us life. But last of all, because Jesus rose from the dead, God also shows that He cares. Because we do not just have eternal life, but we have eternal life in relationship with God. We have forgiveness. Now in Romans uh, chapter 8 verse 31 to, that's right, 31 to 34, uh, we read that in our, uh, it wasn't a responsive reading, it was just a group reading, right? There are really uh, a set of questions which uh, God asks, right? You know, who can be against us? Who can bring any charge against us? Who can condemn us? And as we read that passage, as we read that passage, you can't see all one go. If you remember it, or if you look at it in the Bible, when it says, who can bring any charge against us, who can condemn us, who can be against us, every answer is no one. No one can be against us, no one can bring any charge against us, no one can condemn us. Now that's really shocking. That is really shocking. You know why? Because everyone can condemn us. You, know, you think about it, if you're married, uh, your wife can condemn you and bring a charge against you and say, you know, You've been unloving, impatient, lost your temper, not being considerate. If you have children, your children can say, oh, you know, you've been a, a bad role model to me, you've been a hypocrite, you, you've not been loving enough, you've given me bad advice. Uh, for those of you who are not married and without children, you have parents. 
And your parents can bring charge against you. You know, your parents will say, oh, you failed to obey me. You failed to honor me. You failed to show respect to me. Our friends and relatives <clears throat> all around us can say to us, oh, they can charge us and condemn us by saying, you know, you said you are going to do something, but you didn't do it. You've broken our trust. You've let me down. Uh, the list doesn't end there, isn't it? There are strangers and colleagues, uh, classmates who we've done wrong against, we've uh, slandered or we've lost our temper against, we've lusted over, we have just done the wrong thing. And the Bible itself says that our conscience within us condemns us every day, isn't it? We ourselves know that we have done the wrong thing. So actually, when, the, when those three questions are asked, who can bring a charge against us? Who can be against us? Who can condemn us? The answer is, everyone and everything, isn't it? Shouts out to us that we are guilty, guilty, guilty. We are all guilty before God. So how can the Bible then say that no one can bring a charge against us, that no one can condemn us, no one can say that we are guilty? It is because Jesus has risen from the dead. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, He has shown that His death on the cross is sufficient to pay for all our sins. You see, Jesus declares at the resurrection that Jesus, His Son, has paid for everything, all the wrong things that you've done, and that there is no one who can bring a charge against you. See, where is Jesus right now, now that He's risen from the dead? He is sitting at God's right hand, and He's not watching television there or playing with his uh, iPhone or whatever, you know, updating his Facebook. As he sits at God's right hand, it says there, Jesus is interceding for us. He is our defense lawyer. And uh, Jesus' argument is very simple for every one of us. He doesn't have a different defense for every one of us. Everybody who comes before him, who believes in Jesus, Jesus will defend that person and say, this person is not guilty. This person is faces no condemnation now because when I died on the cross, I paid for his or her sin. There is no charge against this person. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that God cares enough that he has sent Jesus to die for us, but also to make Jesus rise to defend us from anyone who would bring a charge against us. We are free from condemnation because Jesus has risen again. So in conclusion, uh, I know of a friend of mine who uh, his wife is suffering from cancer and they have many children. And uh, unfortunately, uh, she's getting worse and may die soon. And I still read their, their prayer letters and, some, and I hear from people. And um, I'm very surprised that my friend, uh, who I've known since the 80s, can still be very positive about the whole experience of his wife dying and having to look after his children all by himself. But why is he able to be positive? Why is he able to face this death without fear, even though there's still grief and there's sadness? Because he knows that Jesus rose from the dead. Because he knows that Jesus rose from the dead, he knows that God exists, and God loves him, and that his wife will have eternal life, and that she will face complete forgiveness, and that he will one day face death too, and his children, and they will get eternal life, and they will be forgiven as well. So I wonder why it is that people have so much trouble with Easter. People have Easter and they remember Easter eggs. What is Easter egg? What is the Easter egg compared to the 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, what is an Easter egg compared to the existence of God? What is an Easter egg compared to eternal life? And what is an Easter egg compared to forgiveness in the relationship with God? Is that logical? Is that sensible? Is that a reasonable thing to remember? An Easter egg compared to Jesus rising from the dead? Well, it isn't, isn't it? So as we remember Jesus this Easter Sunday, let us remember that it is not something which we hope or wish for or fantasy, but it is real. And because it is real, we know that God exists and He cares for us. And that by believing, we are blessed. We will have eternal life and we will have all our sins forgiven. We will have Jesus always interceding for us. That is the logical, reasonable, that is the intelligent thing to do. So let us remember Jesus. He has risen this day. Let's close our eyes and go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that we will remove from our mind all doubts about the resurrection of your Son, Jesus. That we will not fall into the temptation of this world which seduces us into forgetting the resurrection of Jesus and focuses instead uh, on pleasures and joys and distractions and anxieties of this life. But rather, that by seeing the factual truth of history that Jesus, your Son, rose from the dead, we know that you are real, we know that you exist, we know that Jesus is God, and we know that we are always within your love and care that uh, you have given us eternal life through belief in Jesus. You've given us forgiveness, and Jesus always interceding for us at your right hand. And we can never have anything that can shake and bring us fear or trembling in our hearts because of death or things that we've done. But rather instead, we can look forward to eternal life in a wonderful relationship with you. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.